<clears throat> Here we go. Good evening, everybody. Today is February 23rd, 2023. And welcome to Radio Out of the Past in the Fred Bertelson Old Time Radio Room. My name is Brad Snyder at the microphone once again. And as we all know, this is where we talk about old time radio. We chat about it. We listen to it. Uh, we enjoy the fellowship of old time radio together. Later on, in about 30 minutes, we're going to hear a presentation from Michael Amaro. I believe he's going to play a uh, dramatization of a Louis L'Amour short story. So that's kind of interesting. Um, but in the meantime, to get things started, Larry Gassman isn't with us this evening, but as always, he has left us a little promo to let us know what's going on with Same Time, Same Station and Yesterday USA. So let's give that a listen, and then we'll move on with the rest of the evening. Here we go. Larry, take it away. So let's talk about Same Time, Same Station first, and we're going to do something a little different this week. Um, we're on about 13 different outlets across the United States and, in fact, across the world. And one of the things that we do for a few of them is provide promos talking about the shows that we're going to play. So I thought we would do that for you a little bit. Saves me a little bit of time. And it also lets you know what's happening with Same Time, Same Station. Kind of sounds a little bit like this. Hi, John and Larry Gassman here with you. And uh, we continue with Disney Part 2 on Same Time, Same Station. We will hear from little old Hollywood with Walt Disney as guest, the Mickey Mouse Theater, the premiere of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and the Heinz Hall of Fame, the earliest Disney recording we think we have from 1934. That's all this week here on Same Time, Same Station. And then we plug the various stations that we're listening to. So that's what happens with regard to a promo. Now, there's music behind it. I didn't let you hear that part of it. It really doesn't matter. So that's what's happening on Same Time, Same Station. It's heard here on, on Radio Out of the Past later on when uh, Jim Ruby gets it up and running. And that'll be sometime early, probably next week. On Yesterday USA, uh, lots of us doing radio shows, and we just finished a, a reps show with Martin Grams as the guest, and then Patricia and Walden tonight, and then John and I and Bob on Friday, and Walden and Patricia on Saturday, then John and I and Walden again on Sunday playing radio shows. And uh, we're slowly getting uh, Yesterday USA and the other stations on the platform back to normal, and everything's in automation now. The automation seems to be working well. Next steps are to get uh, reps and spurred back and um, definitive hits and a few other stations like that back up and running on the network. And that will happen soon. Now, if Walden's here, I'll ask him to talk in just a few minutes about stuff that I may have missed in terms of guests. And I'll also ask somebody to get the tele. Wait a minute. I'm the only one here. Yes, I'll have to do it by the. Oh, never mind. Never mind. It's just a junk number. We're going to keep going as if they weren't even here. Um, so Walden can talk about other stuff happening with regard to radio. Remember the radio marathon here on Radio Out of the Past comes up on April 15th. And uh, slowly we're getting that together as well. People are providing listings of shows and uh, also their uh, shows. And we'll put that together. And so it should be fun. 12 hours. On the 15th of April, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific. I think that's all I've got. So we wander back to um, 
to Brad and more on Radio Out of the Past. All right. Thank you, Larry. Well, unfortunately, I do not see Walden on the participants list. So we're just going to have to tune into Yesterday USA to find out what's going on. Unless Walden shows up in the next little bit, but I bet he's not here because he's got something else going on. He's a busy man. So let me see. I did mention Michael Amaro is going to play a dramatization of a Louis L'Amour short story, which makes me wonder, uh, what are people's thoughts on Westerns? What are some of um, everyone's favorite Westerns from old time radio? Do we have any it's, favorite Westerns? It's Max here. I like Maxwell. To, hi, I like to listen to Fort Laramie and Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. You know, you just don't hear enough Gunsmoke, you know? Nope. Fort Laramie. Yes, that's a good one. And so are, well, Gunsmoke is definitely way up there. And the Six Shooter is always good, too. And, uh, well, I don't know if you'd call uh, Sergeant Preston. Well, Alaska's in the, and Ken and the Canadian Terry. Yeah, that's, and, and yeah, gotta have, gotta put, put them in there. But Gunsmoke and Six Shooter are two of my, oh, well, of course, the Lone Ranger. I don't want to take up the whole thing, so <laughs> I can keep Damon. But I will, I will stop at the, at those. But uh, those are some of my faves. All right. Put me down for gun smoke. You put Tom down for gun smoke. Yeah. Any others? Uh, I bet you uh, can play that gun smoke intro, can't you? You know, I, I probably could. I haven't really tried to, to try to do it, but uh, I, I probably could if I if I forward it long enough. Well, maybe you can work on that, and you can. That might uh, be something to keep around. You can, you can, you can play that for us sometime. <laughs> could you do it? Well, it would sound interesting on the fiddle, but I know it, it, it. You could do it definitely on the guitar. Yeah, I was thinking of the way they do the little. Yeah, the little there on the guitar. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's where that's where I would do it on. on I don't know about you could do it on fiddle, but it, I don't know if it would sound the same. <laughs> Let's see. I, I see John Boya on the list. I know John's got an opinion, I'm sure. Are you a Western fan, John? I think you're muted. As as is Bob Braxma. Either of you gentlemen have a Western you particularly like? I know. Of course, like everybody else, I like Gunsmoke, but I've always been fond of uh, Have Gun Will Travel. I like Paladin. Um, of course, I remember it from television, as that's where it got started, but I particularly liked the uh, uh, the, uh, the the radio version. I really like that a lot. Uh, a shame it didn't get started earlier and there aren't more of them, but... Uh, I particularly like to present a gun smoke and a uh, have gun will travel together. I think they pair well together. They're both very Isn't popular. that the way they used to come on, like when, when uh, CBS uh, ran that block of shows on early, like early Sunday evening, uh, uh, didn't uh, have gun will travel, wasn't in, yeah. in, in that lineup? You know, I don't know because I was never able to, to be of the age where I could have listened to them on the radio. They were 
um, pretty much most old time radio was gone before I ever became aware of it. I remember listening to the Lone Ranger, of course, late at night. And, uh, and as I've mentioned before, when I was, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 and early seventies, KRLD here in Dallas used to play old time radio from, um, about 10, 8, 10 p.m. to midnight. And I'd listen to it in my little on my little earphone when I was supposed to be going to sleep, you know. But I particularly remember the Lone Ranger and of course uh Green Hornet, Gangbusters, and I don't remember much else. I even I, have a few tapes I recovered. I is that uh, Patty. No, this is Joy. Oh, no, it's Joy, Joy. Yes, Joy. Um, of course, Louis Lamour, but um the uh I fell in love with a, a Western series called Hash Knife Hartley and Sleepy Stevens. I'm not sure I've ever heard any of those live, but I ran across three scripts and we, and ART, um, put a voice to those and they were really funny. I don't know if I'll ever find them, but uh, I really enjoyed um, having my group act, act out and they, they were a Western. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Well, I think, you know, Westerns are one of the more popular genres in both uh, radio and particularly TV. They were king on TV for a while. Um, seemed to be a bigger deal on TV than they were on, I don't know, on uh, radio. And there were quite a few, but it just didn't seem to. For some reason, they were super dominant on TV back in the in the sixties. Well, it's because they were all coming out of Simi, Simi Valley in California. Yeah, that's true. We really, produce, really yeah. cheap. Cheap to produce. Cheap to produce. Yep. Yeah. Just do big, do big uh, time was like around fifty eight, fifty nine. That's about all you can get on TV at night. Yeah. It seems like it. That's yeah. when your so, half gun will travel move from TV to radio. Now, that's something I didn't know. I would have thought that that started on, um, I know oh. Gunsmoke started on radio, but I didn't know yep. about half gun will tra- travel. Half gun will travel started on TV and then transitioned to radio. You know, wow. you had Richard Boone on TV, but you had John Daner on the radio. And I like John Daner as, as Paladin. They both were good, but they were. They're different. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think that's probably that may be what's the only show I can think of that transitioned from TV to radio. Although, you know, it um, the whole premise be- behind Have Gun Will Travel, you know, is a, um, a fantasy. You know, here's this gunslinger that's actually going to make a living in San Francisco. And then leaves there to to go and and do his his bidding elsewhere. How could he have enough money for that? True. Well, he was a specialty guy. To he was paid for special jobs, and he certainly lived in a exclusive location. You know, there in San hello, Francisco. Hello, hello. I, I there he is. Hello, Mr. Hey, I unmuted I finally got in. I couldn't get in before. I had to go all the way out and come back. Oh, I got it, button. Gotcha. No, we're talking I, about Western. God, it wasn't even there. Oh, I heard what you were talking about. Okay, you and by the way, 
I will be coming in in a couple of weeks with my presentation with a couple of my favorite Westerns. Oh, how timely. Two uh, of our favorite old-time cowboys themselves, Roy and Gene. Oh. oh, no one's mentioned that's going to be on the ninth. I, I forgot of about March. the ninth of March. All right, that's mark that down right. on your calendar, everybody. And Enjoy. yes, my wife is back. Oh, good. Oh, good. wonderful. Good to hear that. Three months lacking four days. Jeez. Wow. Wow. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, she's doing pretty good. Well, good. I bet you're glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. She'll be back to what she was. Oh, very nice. So, yeah, I thought that was very apropos that you were talking about that, and I couldn't get in to say anything. I I didn't have the got button there. And it said huh. the host was host was telling people to unmute themselves and all that. And I kept trying to do that and it wouldn't work. Huh. Finally, I said, "Well, I better go out and try and come back in." I'm back. I said something about or something about my thing was unstable and whatnot too. So. Oh, it's a pesky internet thing. You do hit F six to try and find that got it button, don't you? I, I got it the second time when I came in, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. 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 You're here, and that's all that matters. I guess so. <laughs> I hope Michael appreciates it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you playing uh, the show tonight, Brad? Well, I thought Michael was going to play it, but if he doesn't show up, either I'll play it or Maxwell will play it. One of us oh, that's will. That's right. That's right. Yep. I've got the show from Michael. He put it in the folder. So you got it queued up, Maxwell? Yes, I do. All righty. Well, we will go to his backup. You'll be his understudy. Yep. <laughs> What'd you say, John? After there's your answer. Yeah. Uh. And Daniel's not here either. Well, of course, Daniel never gets here until five minutes before time for the show to play. Well, Rotten Rick never gets here until we're all done. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, well, at least he gets here. So, but, uh, yep. So, let's see. We covered Westerns. Uh, yes, well, what, what else is... It's been a while since we've heard from Roy and Gene, so I figured now would be a good time. Are they doing a crossover? Are they together or are they separate? No, no, they they, they have their separate shows. They have their separate, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure they had to worry about sound effects with the horse's hooves. No, that's probably true. I'm working on a, a homegrown Western um called uh, uh rawhide jones and it's littered with horse hooves everywhere 
Uh oh, that means okay. that if yeah. if you you're doing a coconut to work out, you have to do some sound effects. Yeah, I was gonna say you got plenty of coconut shells. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, most of the conversation takes place while they're in transit to someplace else, and mostly with horses, you don't run them, you walk them. Right. Right. Um. So. But I, I recycled most of the sound effects that I pulled for um, Zorro. So ART is still going on, right, Joy? Oh, yes. That's oh, yes. Good. We're gathering this coming Monday um, and having another shot at a uh, mysterious traveler. Oh, nice. Cool. What's it called? Very nice. Yeah. Oh, I'm afraid you to ask that. <laughs> I can't tell you. All I can tell you is that it is lost. You can't right. tell us, or you, you, you. She won't, won't tell uh, us. I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> so now, how did you guys handle things during the, the big, you know, shutdown pandemic thing? Did you do virtual, uh, plays, or how did you operate? Uh, we're, back then? we're continuing to. Um, do the recording sessions on Zoom. Oh, and, and you we're don't going have to, to. We're going to continue about relays that. or any, you know, de- I, I mean, delays and and that kind of thing. It's all working out well. Well, I mean, uh, most of the time the sound is okay. I do. I have to do more work at doing the post production on it. Um, but you know, I've got somebody in uh, Northern California. And a couple of different places that we have to do it on Zoom, or they can't uh, they can't participate. Oh, mm. and I've got several people in Seattle that frankly don't want to have to drive to my and park outside my house and oh, walk well, to my it. house. Rather so, perilous, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's a busy little neighborhood, and. And it's mm-hmm. hilly. So what I hear. You know, that's okay, you know. Um and you know, people from I've got actors who live in um in the Bellevue side of things and they just as soon not have to drive into Seattle. Oh Zoom well. works for a lot of people. Well it it does in a lot of different It's fine if, if people aren't talking over each other all the time and whatnot. Right. Well, yeah. We have some like problems. We can't do any crowd scenes. Well, so, that would be wild. <laughs> so if we have people that have to have to laugh with each other, I have to have them do it sequentially and then I put them together. Oh, oh you're right. Okay, yeah. Oh my goodness. But I mean, you can't you can't sing together as a chorus in uh, in Zoom. It's there are just some things you cannot do. Yeah. So you adjust. Seventeen, eighteen, star, 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 four hundred seventy-eight. Makes it tougher for you though, I bet. Well, it it adds a little um, extra. Um, oh yeah, but you've got Ron there, and he's a star. He is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's the only person who isn't on mic. <laughs> <laughs> he makes sure all my electronics work. That's right. He does. <laughs> he does. He does. He's got those. He's got that that board hopping. The actors have insisted 
that each show has to have production assistance by Ron Ailey. <laughs> that's, that's at the end good, of the credits. That's he a good thing. Care. That's good. Very nice. We just credit joined us. Where credit is due. It's uh, 1718 star, yeah. star 478. That is a, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to remember where that area code is. Say hello. Are they there? Hey, good evening. There he is. Hey, Ron. It's Ron from New York. Yeah. And you're on the phone. You're on the phone this time. What happened? Uh, you know the I didn't get uh, the uh, an email this week, and uh, the no, link there wasn't. that I had wasn't working. Really? Really? It's used the same link for years. Hmm. Well, you yes. know what? But you um, know what's funny? The link from last week didn't work, so I. I have a fallback link that I use that uh, um, Alan Lemley sent months ago, and that one seems to always work. But the one that was sent out that supposedly worked for years and years didn't work last night or last week. And this one, there was no uh, uh, no I post can, this week, so I had to use that link again. I can so. assure you the Zoom the Zoom link has not changed. I don't know. Oh, it has not. Oh, I've had it since day one. Oh, Brad, yeah. I, I know that. but, but I know. That's what's strange, yeah. But for some weeks, it yeah. just does not work here. Well, I'll tell you, Ron, if so you... So it wasn't, if, so it wasn't you, just oh, me that didn't get an email this no, week? No, no, it wasn't, no, no. Apparently, no, there then. wasn't one. No. But if oh, you go okay. into your Zoom history uh -huh. and find yeah. the Fred Bertelson old-time radio room, it will ask you... For, and you use that to enter, it will ask you for a passcode, but it's it's three letters, A-W-Z for Accessible World Zoom. Yep. Oh, okay. And but I go on, you can I, use your past, your history in there, and that'll get I, you in. But I go on so many Zoom things. Zoom yep, I understand that. I, I didn't even know that it had a history. <laughs> and, 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 oh, if you... Um, if you tab around the Zoom interface, you you sign in and used your you have a, an account, right? Yeah, of course. Okay, so if you tab to where it says join, and then you open it and you join, you're on an edit field. Uh, if you hit tab one time, there's a thing that says meeting history, or when you're in that edit field, if you just hit your down arrow, it'll open it, and there's the last ten meetings that you've been to. So unless you're like Marsha and our uh, high demand on Zoom, uh, you may find <laughs> it in there in your last, you know, unless you're doing, you know, many meetings a week, it may still be there. And does that every work time you join the, uh... in in your history, you just arrow down to it, then press enter, and then it. Yeah, fills so in I was just going to ask if that works on the uh, on the Zoom. Um... Uh, mobile app as well. Yes, it does. It works a little differently, but yes, you will find there's a meeting history and it opens up uh -huh. and it's like a, um, a spin box. You have to make sure your rotor's on. Um, oh, my brain's locked up. Um, He's got a brain. Yeah, I know. That's assuming <laughs> I have one. Anyway, select item, whatever it is, whatever it is for a spin bite, choose item, whatever it says. And uh -huh, it'll be there. Okay. Yes, and then you still I, have I, to then you still have to enter the the passcode AWZ. 
Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, one of the things that I, you know, just have never gotten used to with the, using the phone is just that, um, yeah, the, like keys that you're mentioning on the PC are so helpful. I mean, having tab, having arrows, trying to do everything, you know, with your finger is just not, just not the same. <laughs> yep. 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 So what uh, what's uh, what's on the menu for? Uh, we are going to listen to a dramatization of a Louis L'Amour short story. I believe it's called "Writing for the Brand." Okay, cool. And Michael Amaro is our presenter. I don't see him in here, so you know what? He's he's guilty because he's the one that's supposed to be making sure that Alan gets all these notices to send out and whatnot yeah and, and he's, he's even the presenter so he has no one to blame that's right well, well uh i don't mind playing it or you whoever wants to I no you can play that. it you may do the honors if we got a couple more minutes and okay we'll give it a couple more then but i'll turn I'll, we I'll, got three your... minutes okay but, let me get my um, screen shares you get ready whenever that we get to the witching hour i'll do the muting and you can do the playing Okay, that's should, should that pretty it, good. Uh, yeah, it should. Does that be. make it Michael's Thursday night surprise? Surprise! No, I'm not here. Um, you know, yeah, something may have come up. You never know. He's got family. You never know. Uh, no excuses. No excuses. He's Michael's fine. usually Michael's usually here. He's usually very reliable. I'm sure if he's not here, it's because something happened, which is oh, he does not have good, a... but. <laughs> We will carry on. We have redundancy built into the system. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm just going to get my thing on here. Okay. <clears throat> and, and I'm backing you up, Maxwell, so just in case. Okay. Uh, nope, nope, no, no. Advanced. Max Crawford has started screen share. There, there we go. go. Next cover screen. The share. Right, very good. To see the original hey. Original size quote in the menu. Classy, Max. Okay, just tell me when you want me to start, and then I'll let you mute everybody. Oh, we gotta. You're gonna mute everybody. I don't think you can. You're not. Oh um, no, I said I. You would. I would let you. Yeah, mute. I'll mute everybody. Like you. Yeah. I okay. Very good. And, and, Very good. And I'll let you uh, te text me if, if I sound clear. Because uh, Yeah, just uh, I'll text you if you don't sound clear. How about that? Okay, okay, that sounds good. I'm Very sure good. you'll be fine. I am I'm sure you'll be fine. Well, you know what? We are, we are at 29, so why don't we just go ahead? We're all sitting here anxiously awaiting this presentation. Okay. So I'm just going to go ahead and mute everybody. And Maxwell, you can do the honors here. So here goes the okay. here goes the muting. All right. Now I'm gonna mute myself. Uh oh. Nothing. Okay, now everybody's muted. Go ahead, Maxwell. Hey, 
You didn't hear anything because I was nope, playing. Not somewhere. hearing okay. anything. Well, okay, so then I'm uh, then I'm going to end screen share and start again. I'll make sure I have the settings right. So just okay. Bear Welcome to my presentation here in the Fred Bertelson Old Time Radio Room for this Thursday. We are going to listen to one of Joy Jackson's favorite Louis L'Amour uh, presentations, Writing for the Brand. Phantom Audio Publishing presents Writing for the Brand, adapted from the short story by Louis L'Amour. Walt Seaver walked slowly across the porch. The boards took his weight evenly, refusing to creak. The Casa Grande was a well-built ranch, a ranch worth having. Walt figured he had done what he had to do to get it, what any man would do in his position. He listened to the echo of the boards, and he felt no remorse. Tony Costa met him at the door. You'll come no further, senor. This is not your land. Oh, but it is, Tony. It's as good as mine. You're Mr. Latch. He won't be coming. If you have any news of Senor Latch, please send a messenger from town. You aren't welcome here. What's this about? What do you know about Michael? Carol Arden approached Seaver from behind. She wore canvas overalls and was covered to the hip with red clay mud. Walt Seaver didn't bother to remove his hat. Well, hello. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm afraid I've forgotten your name. Please tell me. What do you know about Michael? I don't know anything, miss. Let's just say that the desert is very wide. Coming across, a man might lose his way. Senor Seaver, I must ask you again to leave the Casa Grande. You are never welcome here. You would do best to face the facts, Senor Costa. You have less than two weeks. Why not pack up now? Save us both some time and trouble. Get out! <laughs> This is a beautiful ranch, isn't it? I can understand why you'd want to stay. Enjoy what time you have left. Hey, let's go. the covered wagon for more than an hour. He sat stark naked under the cover of brush, tending as best he could to his feet, which were swollen and caked with dried blood. Nothing moved near the wagon, but that alone proved nothing. Jed had lived too long in Indian country to risk his life on appearances. The day before, he'd been stripped to the hide and beaten. Jed could not remember their names. He knew he'd remember their faces forever. He'd taken all they had in an honest game of poker. They'd honored their loss by leaving him for dead in the middle of the desert. Now, two days and 20 miles later, Jed had reached the limits of his endurance. Wearily, he slid out of the brush and moved toward the wagon, keeping a careful eye. Rising from the grass, Jed Asbury committed himself to fate. He was tired of running and figured to face whatever lay in store. It was now or never. But there was no one waiting. Jed was alone. He walked up to the wagon and was met only by the dead. Poor fools. 
the bodies of two men and a young woman lay in the dust. He noticed a cluster of bullet holes in the wagon panel below the driver's seat. Clothing, papers, and cooking utensils were scattered. The wagon canopy had been burned black. Jed avoided the bodies. Oddly, they were not mutilated or scalped. The men still wore their boots. Jed crossed himself, then bent down to take a pair for himself. He hoped the dead would forgive him what he needed. If Indians had looted the wagon, they had done so hurriedly. Not much had been taken. In the bottom of a trunk, Jed found a fine black broadcloth suit and several white shirts. He held the suit up to his body to judge the fit. Mm. Somebody's Sunday go to meeting outfit. Lucky for me, the Cheyenne don't go to church. Jed dressed quickly. He took water from a half-empty barrel on the side of the wagon and bathed his feet, then bandaged them with strips of cloth torn from a gingham dress. The boots he'd taken were a full size larger than those he usually wore, but the bandages and the swelling made for a painfully tight fit. Damn. Gingerly, Jed walked in the new boots. He made his way around to the back of the wagon and climbed up, looking for whatever might be useful to him or might inform him as to the names of the dead. In the bottom of a steamer trunk, he found some legal papers and a handful of letters. He pocketed these and continued his search. In the bottom of another trunk, he struck pay dirt. A large metal box closed with a padlock. Jed grabbed a shovel, tossed the box off the wagon, and followed it down. be damned. Inside the box on a folded slip of velvet lay a magnificent set of pistols. Jed ran a finger along the silver plating and the white pearl handles. He dug deeper. Wrapped in a towel beneath the guns, he found a pair of black leather cartridge belts and twin holsters. Getting his new possessions together, Jed tied them up in a poncho, making a backpack. He couldn't help but wonder about a stroke of luck. Surely a Cheyenne raiding party would have taken all of these things. After all, why attack if not to steal? Jed figured it was all a bit strange. There was a canteen and he filled it. In the grub box he found some coffee and stale bread. Jed surveyed the wagon one last time. He had taken everything that might be of use. Glancing up at the noonday sun, Jed considered his last piece of business. He picked up the shovel and prepared to repay the dead. <laughs> On a bad day, Tony Costa would send the cook to town and make lunch for himself. Slow frying a rainbow trout helped him calm his nerves. Carol had known Tony for less than two weeks, but already she was used to his habits. She could see that their meeting with Walt Seaver had set Tony on edge. She was afraid that it would take a whole river of frying fish to calm Tony down. If you have a plan, I'd like to hear it. There's not much time. Right now, I'm planning to eat. I will not allow that man to ruin my lunch. He'll take the ranch. There's nothing we can do. 
There is still time, senorita. The man who attacked us. Seaver sent him. I'm sure of it. No matter how sure we are, there is still no proof. We'll have to deal with Senor Seaver in another way. I'll kill him if I have to. I swear it, Tony. I wish Michael would get here. I just wish we'd hear from him. The hot sun shimmered across the desert. Jed's water was running low, and the food he had foraged from the wagon was gone. He prepares the table before me. In the presence Jed of trudged house. along, keeping himself company by reciting the 23rd Psalm. He kept a watchful eye for the clouds of dust that would mean riders in the distance. Of all the days of my life, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As he topped a small rise, Jed could see the head of a cattle herd moving into the valley below. He finished his prayer as he cut down the hill. Thank you, Lord. And amen. We got sprays on the tree line. Get on over there. Bring them back around. Hey, hello there. Hold up a minute. The trail boss and the jobber turned their horses. They watched Jed approach, wearing the new black suit, covered at the shoulder with the ammo belts, and at the hip with the silver pistols. They couldn't believe their eyes. Hey there! Wait up! What in the heck do you make of this? I'm sure I can't say. Crazy fool. You go after those strays before they're gone. I'll see to this fella. I'm going, boss. The trail boss couldn't help but smile. He crossed his hands over his saddle horn and waited for Jed to walk close. Hello there. Hello. Thanks for waiting up. I'm obliged. You're a sight. You look like a preacher hunting down the devil in the desert. What brings you to the middle of nowhere dressed like that? Uh, I was uh, I was at a funeral in Salt Lake and taking the stage back to Sacramento when we were hit by road men. I played dead while they took what they were after. All they left me were my guns. You're a lucky man. If I'd a mind to rob, the first thing I'd grab is a pair like those. Fine work. No finer than the ones they shot us with. No, suppose not. Sorry, friend. Didn't mean to make light of your troubles. We ride as far as Carson City. You'll need a horse. I'm happy to work if you're needing a hand. We need three hands. Two dollars a day and all you can eat. But I gotta warn you, the coffee's a fright. Any coffee's good coffee, far as I'm concerned. Hell, after what I've been through, strong lie would taste like wine. <laughs> Jed poured himself a third cup of coffee, then set the pot back on the fire. Sparks flew up around him into the trees. The trail boss was right. The coffee was terrible, but Jed was glad to have it. He settled back against his pack and took out the stack of papers he'd found in the wagon. He read the first letter he opened. Dear Michael, when you get this, you will know that George is dead. He was thrown from a horse near Willow Springs and died the following day. The Casa Grande comprises 60,000 acres, and it is all to be yours if you reach us within six months of George's death. If you do not claim the estate within that time, the property will be inherited by next of kin. 
You may remember what Walter's like from our letters. Naturally, we hope you will come at once, for we all know what it would be like if Walt took over. Those of us who have lived here for so long will be thrown out. The letter was signed Tony Costa, and a postscript read, Regards to Senorita James. Jed checked the postage date on the envelope. January 6th, 1866. The letter had been addressed to Michael Latch, Chicago, Illinois. The return address was Salinas, California. Jed was curious. By his calculations, it was somewhere near the end of May. Thoughtfully, he set the letter aside and began to read through the rest of the stack. Michael Latch had been the nephew of George Backer, the man who had died falling from his horse. Neither Backer nor Tony Costa had ever seen Latch, nor had the man named Walt Seaver, who was the son of George Backer's half-brother. Also among the papers was Backer's will, turning the Casa Grande over to Michael and naming Walt Seaver as the only other remaining blood relative. Jed set the papers aside and took another sip of coffee. The pieces were beginning to fit together, and Jed could feel his stomach tighten. He couldn't help but smile. Hey there, friend! No reason to sit off all by yourself. Come on over, introduce yourself around. No, thank you just the same. It's been a long day. I believe I'll try to get some sleep. Might be just what you need. Yes, sir. I suppose I do. No harm in that. Well, good night then, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, what'd you say your name was? My name? Uh, my name is Latch. Michael Latch. On the 6th of June, no one spoke at the Casa Grande. Tony Costa and Carol Arden went about their business in silence. Walt Seaver sat on the porch in the swing chair, watching them pack the wagon. <laughs> you know, I feel bad. I feel real awful. I'd love to help if you'd let me. We don't want your help. What about that, Costa? You don't need a lethal help? The senorita was very clear, senor. We do not want your help. I thank you not to ask again. What would you do, Tony, if I asked again? One never knows for sure, senor. It is possible that I would kill you. <laughs> Senorita Arden, someone is coming. Carol turned. She did not recognize the rider, but she did recognize part of his outfit. Tony, look. Those are Michael's guns. Okay. Hello, folks. I, uh... I hope I'm on the right land. This is the Casa Grande. What do you want, mister? You're trespassing here. Now, you must be Seaver. Walt Seaver, I believe. Who's asking? Name is Latch. Latch? That's right. Michael Latch. Of course. Welcome, Senor Latch. This is the new owner of the Casa Grande, Senor Seaver. It is the appointed day. Now, unless I am mistaken, you are the one who is trespassing. Jed studied the faces around him. He had played his hand as strongly as he could. Now all he could do was wait for his bluff to be called. He met the Mexican's eye. This would be Costa, Jed thought. He watched as Costa turned to the girl. 
Jed couldn't guess who she was. You can't be Michael Latch. It's impossible. Oh, and why not, Senor Seaver? Well, I... We have expected him. His uncle wrote to him as I did. If you doubt it, look at the guns. Could there be two such pairs of guns in the world? I'll need more proof than guns. Jed watched the girl. Her beauty was striking, but she didn't smile. Jed tried his best not to stare. I have a letter here from Mr. Costa. He took the letter from his pocket and handed it to Seaver. Seaver glanced at it quickly, then threw it on the ground. Jed thought he looked more confused than angry. I also have my uncle's will and other papers. Would you like to see them? No. I don't want to see a damn thing. Not from you. Jed watched Seaver's face twist. He watched Tony Costa smile, but he got no reaction from the girl. He tipped his hat in her direction. This is not the end of our business, partner. Rest assured. We will see each other again. Get out. Jed watched Seaver go, worried over his odd reaction. Seaver had seemed sure that Jed was not Michael Latch. Tony Costa, to his relief, seemed to have accepted him. The girl was whispering something to Costa. Jed turned to them, smiling. I don't believe I know your name. No, I don't believe you do. Uh, Senor Latch, I introduce you to the senorita. Carol A, a ward of Senor Bacas and his good friend. My pleasure. Mr. Latch. Uh, perhaps Senor Latch would like some coffee. I make a fine cup. Well, that'd be a nice change, Tony. May I call you Tony? Certainly, Senor. And may I call you Carol? This way, Mr. Latch. And this is the living room. Seaver <clears throat> expected this ranch for himself. He's a difficult man, senor. He'll stop at nothing to expand his business interests. Mm -hmm. Does he work alone? He has two associates, Harry Strikes and Gene Feely. They are gunmen and believed to be thieves. They are thieves. The Casa Grande is quite a spread. I hope I'm up to keeping it. What do you mean by that? You hope you can keep it. I've never run a ranch, ma'am. That's Tony's job. He does it very well. Yes, ma'am. It has been a long day. Perhaps the senor would like to take a rest? I could show you to a room. Well, thank you, Tony. That'd be good. Good afternoon, Carol. It was a pleasure to meet you. Afternoon, Mr. Latch. Uh, Michael. Michael. Good afternoon. I hope you will find this room comfortable. It was your uncle's room. This will be fine, Tony. Thanks. Welcome to the Casa Grande, senor. Dinner will be served at six. Jed sat down on the bed. He shifted his weight to check the springs. It was his bed now. He smiled as he pulled off his boots. <clears throat> Welcome to the Cassie Grande, Michael. Thank you, Jed. <laughs> Ah. <laughs>
Who is he, Tony? I couldn't say, senorita. Do you recognize him? I've never seen him before. Do you think he's working for Seaver? No. <laughs> Seaver is not that smart. He was surprised, just as surprised as we were when the man arrived. He's on his own. What do you think he wants? How did he get Michael's guns and the will? I imagine he wants the Casa Grande. Tony, I think For that... the time being, senorita, we have only one choice. Walt Seaver would have us leave our home. This new man, in order to play out his charade, will have no choice but to allow us to stay. It seems to me, senorita, that our choice has been made. We welcome Michael Latch to the Casa Grande. Bartender. Uh, what can I do for you, Mr. Seaver? You can get me Jack Clark right now. Uh, afraid he's uh, right this minute occupied, Mr. Seaver. In which room is he right this minute occupied? Please, Mr. Seaver, he told me... You will answer to him or you will answer to me. Take your choice. Upstairs, Wanda's room. Seaver left a gold piece on the bar and made his way to the stairs. He took them two at a time and headed down the hall. At room number seven, he didn't bother to knock. He turned the knob and walked right in. What is this, Walt? We need to talk, Clark, right now. Clark lurched across the bed, trying to reach his gun, which hung in a holster on the post. Seaver drew his own and set it square between Jack Clark's eyes. Don't even think about it. Okay, Wanda, dress up and get the hell out. Now. Whatever you say, darling. Whatever you say. Get that gun out of my face, Walt. I ain't taking this lightly. No, you're not, Clark. Not at all. You're going to take this hard. I paid you good money to kill Michael Latch. And I did. Then what is he doing out at Casa Grande? Ah, that's impossible. I'm not lying to you, Clark. I wouldn't do that. I might kill you, but I would never lie to you. Now, you better tell me a story and tell it true, or so help me, Clark, you'll be going to your grave with your pants around your ankles. Is that the way men sleep in Chicago? How's that? With their clothes on? Only when they're tired. I'm sorry if I disturbed you. Well, you're welcome to disturb me anytime you like. What time is it? Time for dinner. Carol? Tony made it. He's been cooking a lot lately. It's fine, Tony. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure, senor. Now tell me, Tony, you say that Seaver was sure he would inherit. Hmm. Is he, senor? Though until about two weeks ago, he was hating George Baca for leaving the ranch to you. Hmm. Then suddenly the threat stopped. He became sure you would not arrive to claim your inheritance. Jed chewed his steak slowly. It had been little more than two days since he'd buried Michael Leitch and his companions. He was certain now that this man, Seaver, was behind the murders. And if Seaver had killed Leitch once, then he would certainly try to kill him twice. 
Yes, certainly. Jed felt a rising chill. He was in chin-deep water, standing on his toes. He swallowed hard. I think I'll take a ride. Look over the land before the sun goes down. Thank you for the dinner. Jed reined his horse, pulling away from the setting sun. It was a fine picture, and Jed was taken by the beauty of the Casa Grande. 60,000 acres, according to the will, and worth twice that in gold, according to his guess. A damn shame. It was the kind of spread Jed would be proud to own, the kind he had always dreamed of running. Hell, only one evening's ride, and he'd already figured five ways to change it for the better. Damn shame, he thought, that he wouldn't be around to see to those changes. A shame to watch it sold to the highest bidder. Jed thought again about Walt Seaver and his hired guns. Better to be rich and alive, he thought, than dead and buried in the promised land, that was for sure. He pointed his horse at the horizon. The land went on forever. Arden felt no shame, not a bit, as she watched Jed lead his horse into the barn. She was certain Michael Latch was dead, and this stranger had had some part in it. As a child back east, she was taught not to judge without proof. But she was older now, and the West seemed to require individual convictions. He left the barn and came toward her. She measured his neck for a noose. Have a nice ride. It was fine. Beautiful sunset. You should have seen it. I've seen sunsets. Well, they're never the same, you know. Each one is better than the last. So, if I see tomorrow's, then today I didn't miss a thing. That's one way to live. But you wouldn't recommend it. Not to a friend. Is that what I am? Your friend? I don't know who you are. I could say the same about you. My name is Michael Latch. I was George Backer's nephew. And I was his friend. It's nice to meet you. Any friend of my uncle's, I'd like to make a friend of mine. Well, then, my friend, there's something you should know. If you plan to stay at the Casa Grande, you will probably be killed. Jed heard footsteps. He turned quickly on his heel. It was Tony Costa. The senorita is right, senor Latch. If you stay, Walt Seaver and his men are bound to make trouble. Nevertheless, we hope you will stay. Carol and I will stand behind you as best we can. Isn't that right, senorita? Yes. It's been a long day. Tomorrow's bound to be longer. Good night. Rest well, senor Latch. Did you mean it, Tony? Would you really stand behind him? <laughs> Against Seaver, I will stand behind him. Then, if I have to, I will shoot him in the back. I'll let no one steal this ranch. Jed got up with the sun and found his way to the ranch office. 
He read through the ledgers, trying his best to appraise the value of the ranch and its stock. His excitement grew with every page. The Casa Grande had been in operation for 11 years, turning a solid profit for 10. But it had never been run to its potential, and Jed was certain that he could do better. Jed turned another page, feeling a vague unease. He suddenly felt like a thief. Find anything of interest? What? Carol stood in the doorway. She was dressed for the country in riding boots and denim. She held a rifle. I didn't mean to startle you. I thought I was alone. Didn't know you were up. Haven't gone to bed. We've got a coyote bothering the stock. Something had to be done. And you did it? Tried. Got a look and a shot. I missed. Mm. Isn't there a man around whose business that is? The day George died, Walt Seaver started making trouble. Got in the way of the ranch operations. A day hand was shot. Killed. Most of the rest quit straight away. You should know that. It's all down there in the books. Haven't got that far. Tell me, Mr. Latch, what do you plan to do? Will you be hiring? From what you tell me, that could be difficult. Could be impossible. Perhaps I should go to town. Ask Walt Seaver for advice. That's not funny. Not in the slightest. It wasn't a joke, Carol. I can't do a thing with the Casa Grande until I rid myself of Seaver's influence. And that is exactly what I plan to do. But that wasn't what Jed intended at all. Jed rode into town, planning to introduce himself around, to make some waves. If he was going to sell the ranch, he thought, it would be necessary to know who the townsfolk were behind. Were they in Seaver's pocket? Or were they behind the Casa Grande? Jed walked into the saloon, hoping to get some answers. Barkeep. Whiskey, please. Yes, sir. Be a nickel. Buy yourself the bottle for 20 cents more. Fairest price I've heard in some time. Jed noticed that eyes were on him. He spoke to the bartender, but loud enough so that all could hear. Real pleasure, sir. My name is Michael Latch. Did I get you correct? Latch? Yes, sir. George Backer was my uncle. I've come to claim the Casa Grande. Oh, I've heard all about it, Mr. Latch. You're the talk of the town. I tell you what, this bottle's on me. Welcome to the county, Mr. Latch. And now that you've been welcomed, partner, you can get the hell out. Jed turned. Standing behind him were two men, each with a hand on a gun. Name is Strikes. This here is Feely. Could be you heard of us. Could be you been warned. No reason to warn a man if there's no threat. Nobody cuts in on my boss. Go for your gun or get back where you came from. You got a choice. Looks like you got me outgunned. That doesn't seem fair. Fair. <laughs> you hear that, Feely? <laughs> Couldn't help it, Harry. Come now, mister. Who gives a damn about fair? I do. All heads turned. A man with heavily muscled arms and a full head of cold black hair sat drinking alone in the corner. His feet were kicked up on the table, crossed next to his gun. He wore a smile. This ain't your business, Pardo. Business of the Casa Grande is my business. I'll keep an eye on Feely, Mr. Latch. You deal with strikes. Well, Mr. Latch, I'm your blacksmith out of the Grandy. I help when I can. 
made a fool of strikes. That doesn't happen often. When it does, the jokers mostly wind up dead. <laughs> I got a good laugh, Jim. That's what it's all about. I'll die a happy man. <laughs> <laughs> what you did to strikes, I don't know if I would have done it. Would have been easier to kill him. It crossed my mind. As they rode through the ranch gate, Chet noticed that the Casa Grande brand had been burned into the gatepost. It was a circle filled with a cross. Not an artful design, but solid, easily identified. As he rode onto the property, Jed had an exciting thought. That brand, the circle filled with a cross, it belonged to him. Hello, Jim. You busy? Uh, not too. Fixing up a shoe for the gray mare. It can wait. You were in town today? Yes, ma'am. And you were with Mr. Latch? Uh, not with him, no. Mostly I was behind him. Senor Costa heard a rumor. He passed it on to me. We understand that Mr. Latch had a fight. Wasn't much of a fight, ma'am. More like he put Harry Strikes to sleep. I don't understand. Hit him with a whiskey bottle. Knocked him clear to Denver. Did he try to kill Strikes? Did he use his guns? That there's just the point, ma'am. He didn't use them. He could have. Strikes went for his. But the boss, well, he stayed above it. Mr. Latch stays away from his guns. I'll be proud to call him my boss. Jed hung the map at eye level. It was a topographical rendering of the Casa Grande holdings. He had decided for the moment to change his plan. The run-in with strikes had made him angry. If it was a fight they wanted, then a fight they'd get. Seaver be damned, Jed thought. I'll run this ranch and run it well. Hell, if he wants it now, in a year he'll want it twice as much. If he's still alive. The people he'd met were good people. Jed could not allow a man like Seaver to run them off. Maybe he'd help them with Seaver, then give the ranch to Tony and Carol. Maybe that would be the best way to thank Michael Latch for his boots. One way or the other, Jed knew he had a job to do. He figured to start it right away. Tony? Carol? Could you come in here, please? I'd like to speak to you both. Oh, yes, senor. Oh, what can we do? Sit down, both of you. What are you doing with the map? I've considered making some changes. I'd like your opinion. Now, here, at the top of the map, that narrow passage leads into open country. See? I found cattle tracks there going out. Could be rustlers. A little blasting up in these rocks will close the gap. It's a good move. And this field should be fenced off. We'll plant it to flax. Flax, senor? Mm-hmm. There'll be a good market for it. This piece will plant the grapes, all that the hillside will support. There'll be times when we can't depend on cattle or horses, so there's got to be other sources of income. I think we could afford to expand the blacksmith shop. We could contract work from town, and a small dairy might not be a bad idea. Carol Arden watched in wonder. He was working fast, this new Mike Latch. 
He had grasped the situation at once and was moving to make changes that George Baca had only dreamed of. She considered what Jim had told her about his decision not to use guns in town. Maybe, she thought, he really had nothing to do with Michael's death. But then, why was he here? What was he doing masquerading as Michael Latch? What do you think, Carol? It sounds good. Mike. Mm, the table was set for a feast. Costa had sent to town for the cook, and he'd fixed them a celebration. There was basted turkey, cranberry sauce, mashed potatoes, and two cherry pies. There was iced tea to drink and ranch business to discuss. I uh, checked the stock yesterday. Seems to me we need a roundup. Got to gather the cattle and cut out all those over four years old. I saw a lot from five to eight. They need to be cut and sold. We'll need hands, senor. No one will work for us, Mike. You know that. I know of an outfit up in Laramie. We'll put in a wire, see if they're still around. If they're not, well, there's bound to be others. There's something else. Yesterday, up on the West Ridge, I saw a lot of cattle with the Bar O brand. <sighs> this brand, senor, belongs to a very big outfit. Frank Bezovi. A very big man. A troublesome man. George mentioned Bezovi often. He said it was a habit of his to use a ridge in the spring. He's been doing it for years. No matter the history, Carol, he's got no right to that land. We'll go up there tomorrow and toss those cattle off our range. There will be trouble, senor. Are you afraid of trouble, Tony? No, senor. Carol? No. Well, then, that makes three of us. They moved out at daybreak, Jed riding ahead with Costa, Pardo and Carol behind. They crested the west ridge before the sun and found trouble in the valley. Five men were grouped beside the creek, watering their horses. Each horse with a bar O brand. Jed led his group in slowly. Which is Basilvi? In the middle. The big man with the beard. I'll talk to him. There'll be no talking. He's a very angry man. Jed no trouble when he saw it. Bezovi and his men were well-armed and looked the type to use force if provoked. Jed walked his horse forward, saying nothing. He simply pushed it up against Bezovi, knocking the big man back. Anger flared in the man's eyes. What are you trying to do? Round up your borrow cattle, then run them off my land. Your land? Who the hell are you? Michael Latch. I own the Casa Grande. That right, Costa? This man kin to George? That he is, senor. Ain't you told him about my deal? We told him what you have come to expect. If you had a deal with my uncle, it died with him. I've seen no paper on it. Well, we had an understanding. Didn't need no paper. What about this, Jim? My uncle ever mentioned an agreement with this man? I knew George Baca for 20 years. He mentioned Bazovi often. Each time he complained about his using this land to graze. Mr. Backer didn't like it. What? Keep your cattle on your ranch. If you don't, we'll cut them out and sell them as our own. Well, look at this, boys. The Casa Grande has got itself a cowgirl. <laughs> you heard the lady. Move out. 
I'll see you in hell first. Jed knew this could be handled in two ways. If he went for his gun, there would be shooting and men would be killed. He chose the other way. Acting so suddenly that the move was unexpected, Jed grabbed Basovi by the beard and jerked him forward off his horse. Jed jumped down on the big rancher's back. Basovi came to his feet, clawing for his gun. Afraid to fight with your hands? <laughs> with you? Be more humane to shoot you, Mr. Latch. Basovi unbuckled his belts and handed them to the nearest horseman. Jed handed his to Costa. They met between the horses, circling, staring each other down. Jed was at least 60 pounds lighter than Basovi and gave two inches in height. Jed moved in, fainting to get the rancher to reveal his fighting style. Basovi grabbed at his left wrist and Jed brushed it aside, landing a hard right to the big man's face. Pardo rolled a wad of tobacco. He'd seen Basovi fight before and he'd never seen him lose. Jed fainted again, then stabbed two lefts to Basovi's jaw. Pardo was surprised to see how Basovi's head jerked under the blows. The rancher lunged forward and Jed was too slow in retreat. He felt the sting of Bazovi's punch. Pardo was stunned. He'd never seen a man stand the weight of Bazovi's fist. Jed struck back with a solid right, opening a cut over Bazovi's right eye. Blood flowed as if from a faucet, blinding the giant rancher. As he tried to sweep the blood from his face, Jed hit him again, breaking his nose. Bazovi fell to his knees. You've had plenty, Bazovi. Now, will you take your cattle and leave my ranch? Well, I'll be damned. I didn't think a man lived who could beat me. Will you... Will you shake my hand? I'll never shake with a tougher man. Or a better one. Be my pleasure, Basovi. Name's Frank. <laughs> All right, boys. Fun's over. Round him up. Cut him out. We're going home. Hey! I'll check. Bets to you, Mr. Seaver. I know that. Now, let me see here. Walt Seaver studied his hand. A full house. It was the first real hand he'd had all day. He didn't want to spoil it with a foolish bet. Harry Strikes walked up from behind. Ah, uh, Mr. Seaver, something you ought to know. Not now, Strikes. It's important, sir. It's Clark. Clark? He's outside. Got two men with him from Laramie. Says they know something about, uh, Mike Latch. Walt Seaver turned back to the game. He set his full house on the table, face down. I fold, gentlemen. Okay, Clark, what did you find? I found what I was looking for. This here is Stanton and Quinby. They come from Rapid City. Gentlemen? <laughs> They say they know a man, a poker cheat. Maybe you're Michael Latch. Describe him, Stanton. No more than five foot, ten inches tall, near 160 pounds. Man was a boxer, so he said. Cheated us in cards. Beat Quinby here within an inch of his life. Hmm. That right, Quinby? He, he hit me from the blind side. Wouldn't even fight a fair fight. I, I owe him one, I'll tell you. Describe his face. Uh, black hair, blue eyes, young looking, and by the look of it, his nose been broke more than a few times. Uh, crooked as a corkscrew. That's the man. What's his name? Uh, Mr. Seaver. 
clerk here says the name's worth $10. It's worth 20 if it's correct, and it had better be. Jed Asbury, Mr. Seaver, out of St. Louis. Strikes! Bring the horses! Yes, yeah, sir! You did good, Clark. Let's go! I've never seen anything like it. You've got a strength enough for two men. It's not strength, Tony. It's finesse. You learn that over time. Use his weight against him. It's a trick. <laughs> Some trick? The man's a mountain. He could have killed you five times over. You're a brave man. Either that or crazy. I've considered that, too. He'll be a good friend, Besovi will. But how could you know he was going to get up without his gun? I've been beaten by better men. There's no shame in it. You just get yourself up and shake their hands. I gambled that our Mr. Besovi would feel the same way. And if not? If not, you're back where you started, reaching down to your side. But... In my book, that's always a last resort. Who taught you to fight, senor? Carol listened with interest. This man was clearly letting his guard down, allowing his own history to mingle with his charade. She wondered if he realized what he was doing, or if he was simply incapable of keeping up the facade. She was beginning to like him. Listen, both of you, I've been thinking. Without your help, I'd never have gotten this land, and without you, I won't be able to keep it. I'd like to make you even partners in the Casa Grande. What? I'd like to give you each a third of the ranch. You've been here longer than I have, and you've worked the land. My claim is inheritance. It hardly compares. Senor, really, this is too much. On the contrary, Tony. It may not be enough. We still have Seaver to deal with. Will you make this legal? I'll have the papers drawn tomorrow when the bank opens. Carol smiled as her eyes appraised this man who called himself Michael Latch. She couldn't understand his motives, but she had to admit there were facets to his character worth liking. She was beginning to respect his competence and self-possession. She couldn't help but think that the real Michael Latch would have approved. They might even have become friends. Listen. Who is it, Jim? It's Seaver, boss. I count five men with him. All right, Jim. Tony, get my guns. Meet me on the porch. Right away, senor. Pardo, you take Carol upstairs. I'm coming out. I'm not afraid of Seaver. Do as I say, Carol. Seaver's not the kind of man who gets up shaking hands. But Mike... Come on, Miss Arden. Jed met Costa on the porch, and Costa handed him the silver pistols. He strapped them on and went down to meet Seaver and his men. Howdy, Jed. Jed didn't know the man at Seaver's right. He wore a suit and didn't look like a gunman. He recognized Strikes and Feely behind Seaver, and behind them the two men he'd beaten at cards in Rapid City. He knew then that there was trouble. It was a smart play, Asbury. In your shoes, I might have tried it myself. Jed let no muscle move. He saw Strikes and Feely spread out, hands on their guns, he felt Costa behind him and judged the odds. If trouble started, he was going straight at Seaver. Get off my land, Seaver, and take these gunmen with you. I'd watch who you call names, Jed. This gentleman on my right is a representative of the bank. He's a respectable man here to witness your deception and to see that the deed to the Casa Grande is signed over to me. My name is Williams. Mr. Seaver here tells me that you are not who you say you are. He says that he has proof that you're not. 
What proof is that, sir? Stanton and Quinby moved their horses forward, their right hands at their hips, ready to draw. I'm the proof, Asbury. Me and Quinby. We're here to call you a thief and a liar. We mean to see you hanged. Well, what about it? Are you or are you not Michael Latch? And if you are, what proof have you? Jed felt Costa's hand on his shoulder. The Mexican smiled. I am his proof, senor. George Baca spoke often of his nephew. He told stories of a young man of honor, willing to fight for his own. This man fits Baca's description in every respect. That's not proof. With all due respect, sir, I'll need proof that will stand a court of law. Your game's up, Jed. Walk away, or you'll be carried. You and all your lying friends. Jed looked over the assembled gunmen. He knew he could kill Seaver before his men could fire back. His own death was of no concern. He deceived good people, and he deserved what he got. But Costa would be killed as well, and that was more than Jed could bear. He would tell the truth and tell it now. It was all he could do. Michael, what's going on? What do these men want? Carol, please, I told you to stay inside. Excuse me, miss. Do you know this man? Do I know him? Of course I know him. This is ridiculous. He's my husband. That's impossible. Shut up, Seaver. Carol. Michael, please. Uh, tell me, miss. Do you have a marriage license? A marriage license? Yes. As a matter of fact, I do. I have it right here. As you can see, sir, it's dated six months ago and notarized. My name is Carol Arden James Latch. And, well, you've already met my husband. Williams took his glasses from his vest and studied the paper. He handed it back to Carol, then turned to Seaver. My time is valuable, Mr. Seaver. I don't appreciate having it wasted. I'm telling you, he's an imposter. These men are my proof. That's right. He's a poker cheat, mister. I, I know him. Well, you men very well may be mistaken. I don't think a judge and jury would take your word for it. Not over the say of a lady. He's a poker cheat and a dead man. We owe you, Asbury. The men went for their guns at the same moment, but none had even cleared the holster when a shot rang out. All heads raised to the second story of the ranch house. There in the window sat Jim Pardo holding a smoking Winchester. First one moves is mistaken. Stanton, Quinby, and Seaver let their pistols slide back into their holsters, but Strikes and Feely held on. They fired together. Stanton hit the ground first, and Feely fell on top of him. The bank man jumped off his horse and ran like a rabbit for the barn. I won't say it again. Thanks for the help, boss. No problem, Jim. My pleasure. Oh my Jed slid the pistol back into his holster. He'd been on the mark, hitting strikes in the right shoulder. The gunman got to his feet, holding his wound. Feely had not been so lucky. Pardo had shot low, taking the man in the gut. He was bleeding badly and in pain. Your friend's in bad shape, Strikes. I'd suggest you get him on his horse and back to town. The rest of you follow them out. Let's get, Quinby. Yeah. You're still here, Seaver. That's not a good idea. Don't try to hustle me, son. Not with your guns on. I understand you like to fight with your hands. I don't like it, but I've been known to do it. There'll be no more fighting here. Get out, Seaver. Get off the Casa Grande and don't come back. 
Seaver jumped down from his horse. He unbuckled his gun belt and tossed it aside. Seaver moved slowly forward, setting his fists. Jed handed his guns to Costa, but just as Costa took hold of them, Seaver made his move. He pulled a knife from his boot and grabbed Carol by the arm. He pulled her forward and set the blade against her throat. Michael! Drop the guns. Drop them. You, Pardo! Pardo let loose the Winchester. It slid down the tile roof and into the rain gutter. Costa dropped Jed's silver pistols and then his own. Seaver pushed Carol forward. Pick him up, Carol. Pick up those fancy irons. Don't hurt her, Seaver. This is between you and me. That's right, it is. And you know how I plan to handle it? I plan to use your own guns. Seaver took the silver pistols from Carol. He pulled one from the holster and pointed it at Jed. He pushed Carol aside. What I figure is this. I'll shoot you with Michael Latch's gun. If you die, well, that's proof your name isn't Jed Asbury. <laughs> Seaver's smile froze on his face. He dropped to his knees and then fell forward. Blood ran from his neck. Jed looked off toward the corral. Frank Basovi sat atop his horse, a rifle at his hip. He cocked it, sending the spent shell onto the ground. I always hated that man. He would have made a lousy neighbor. Let's go, boy. Move it out. Ah! Basovi rode off, sliding his rifle back along his saddle. After a moment, Jed took a seat on the porch steps. Carol and Tony sat down beside him. You were married to Michael Latch. Yes. When we received word of George Baca's death, he sent me ahead to the ranch. He was to follow with a neighbor couple heading this way once he finished his business in Chicago. When I arrived, Seaver had already begun to make trouble. And Tony figured I'd be safer if no one knew I was Michael's wife. Until he could come claim the ranch. Once you showed up, I knew Michael would never be coming. Mister, I don't think you killed Michael Latch, but I believe you know what happened to him. Mm. I found him dead on the trail to Denver. He was with another man and a woman I took to be his fiancée, the Miss James you wrote about in your letter. I was without my boots, and I took his. I needed them. I thought I needed his ranch, too, but I guess that wasn't my character after all. If you knew I wasn't Michael, why didn't you stop me? <laughs> well, you were writing for the brand, senor. Stopping you would have been a mistake. It would have been bad for the Casa Grande. I deceived you. You'd have been right to kill me for that. We thought about it. <laughs> At that moment, the barn door swung slowly open. Williams, the bank man, stuck out his head. Is it over? Ah, it's all over, senor. Please, come have a seat. You saved us some time, Mr. Williams. We have some business with the bank. Oh, what's that, miss? We'd like papers drawn, splitting the Casa Grande three ways. Carol, no. That's crazy. Not a good idea, Senor Latch. Arguing with Senorita James, I mean, Senora Latch. She's a tough lady indeed. Mm, that's right, Michael. I don't take no for an answer. But you know that, don't you? After all, you are my husband. You have been listening to Riding for the Brand, adapted from the short story by Louis L'Amour. In the cast you heard, Chip Bolsick, Pamela Clifford, David Cooper, John Millard, Jeff Pearson, Dan Rezin, 
Rex Robbins, Kevin Rock, Paul Shearhorn, and Jerry Turheiden. Sound effects by Arthur Miller. This is John Randolph Jones. This program was recorded by Jesse Plumley at West Tracks, New York. Writing for the brand was directed by Charles Potter and produced by David Rapkin. Supervising producer, Bo Lamour. This program is a production of Bantam Audio Publishing. Copyright 1988. All rights reserved. That was Louis Lamour writing for the brand. I hope you guys have enjoyed this presentation as much as I've enjoyed presenting it for you. Before I turn the mic back over to you guys for your comments, let me remind you all about our upcoming marathon, Spring Marathon, to be held in the Old Time Radio Marathon Room, April 15th, 9 to 9 Pacific, noon to midnight Eastern. This is about going to wrap it up for my presentation here in the Fred Bertelson Old Time Radio Room. Joy says that it's my turn to come up to the microphone again. You guys have yourselves a good night, a good weekend. Bye for now. It's 8 o'clock Eastern Standard. Screen sharing meeting controls. Very nice. There you go, folks. Very nice. Yeah, that was a good story. I liked it. Nice. Not exactly old time radio, but it'll do. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, thank you, Michael. I agree. I like how how Carol seems to save the day, right? At times, and especially at the end of the story there. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a lot of lot of little um, hints in it, you know, that it's okay to be silent. You don't really have to attack that much, but keep your eye open. Mm-hmm. And the whole That's idea true. of writing for the brand. Mm-hmm. That's true. Very nice. One of my favorites. Thank you. Hi, 